picked up, either that or he's, he's speaking in tongues or something. Uh, we've been looking at the kingdom of God, and we started a few weeks back, and we, we asked the simple question, what is the gospel of Jesus? And I don't know about you, but if you were here, um, you might have been a bit surprised because it surprised me a little bit the first time I, I heard this. And, and a lot of what I'm, I'm taking, let me just say quickly, is, is uh, taken by, uh, from the thinking of Dallas Willard and John Ortberg. Fantastic. If you want to hear somebody say it better than I do, go and look them up on YouTube. Um, but he asked this question, and then... What we did is we went through the book of Matthew and we just glanced through a few things. And I think we did Luke and a bit of Acts. And what is the gospel of Jesus? The kingdom of God is near. What did Jesus preach? In, in the gospel of Matthew, there's 28 chapters. It's about 45, 47-ish, roughly many times where kingdom is mentioned. And a lot of the rest of the time where kingdom isn't explicitly mentioned, Jesus is telling stories about the kingdom. And so the good news of Jesus is bigger than just how do you get into heaven when you die, which is a lot of, of how we sell it these days, isn't it? Become a Christian so that when you die, you'll be fine. In fact, you get into the great pleasure factory in the sky, uh, which we call heaven. But, but Jesus' gospel is bigger than that. Jesus says, I don't want you to get into some place out there. I want the kingdom of God to come into your lives. I want you to come into the kingdom of God. I want to have a living relationship with you as the God and creator of the whole universe. And I don't want to do that when you die. I want to start having that relationship with you, me as the king, you as my people, right here, right now, in time, in space. And we saw last week, uh, we asked ourselves, well, well, why would we want that? Jesus said to us, don't worry about everything. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But why would we want that? And I think we saw a little bit that, that we should want that because God is God and we were made for that. And we've seen over the last few weeks that, that sin comes along and says, well, God, it's really great that, you, that you're the king, but at, um, I think I can do a better job, quite frankly. Um, I will make decisions about my life. I can go it on my own. And the result is, of course, because we're not God, and we were made to be kings, but we were made to be kings under God. But, but if we try and do the top job, have you ever got into that situation where you're running so fast that you're going to fall over? And the only way to not fall over is run faster. And so you just run faster and run faster and run faster, and, and it works. Hey, I will tell you now, that works. If you run faster, you don't fall over. Until you do. It works for a while. <laughs> it doesn't work for long. The result is we worry about life, and we're always running faster to keep from falling over. And Jesus comes and says, I've got good news for you. God's kingdom is here. Turn back to God. I'm going to make the way open for you to come into the kingdom of God. I'm going to take away your sins. I want you to know life the way God meant it to be. And Jesus said to us, Matthew chapter 6, trust that God loves for you, that love, loves you. Trust that God cares for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and, and everything else will fall into place because, because God's got you. He loves you. He cares for you. If we, if we want to do what Jesus said and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we have to remember why. And what we need to do is to constantly 
beholding virtually God before our eyes, holding Jesus before our eyes and our minds as fully as we can. We need to be remembering what he's done. We need to be remembering what he said. We need to be growing to realize just how much his love for us is. Paul's prayer that that we would know how high, how deep, how wide is the love of God for us. Which is a great task because it goes beyond measure. We will only be seeking the kingdom of God first if we are growing more and more in love with Jesus and more and more convinced that life in God's kingdom is the best life possible. John chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles, flick with me. We're going to be doing quite a bit of flicking today. John chapter 14, verse 23. Have a listen to what Jesus says over here. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and we will make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. If we love Jesus, we'll do what he says, and he and and God the Father will come and live with us. And so in practice, if we say, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Seeking first the kingdom of God means living as Jesus would if he were me. And you might remember the old, what would Jesus do bracelets? That's a nice idea, but it's kind of a stupid idea because that that's the wrong question. The question would be, what would Jesus do if he were me? Or rather, what would I do if I was the same kind of person as Jesus, so in love with God and so trusting God in every moment of my life? What would I do? It's not a very good acronym, is it? It's a long bracelet. Yeah. It means doing what Jesus said, seeking the kingdom of God. It means living as God would have us live sounds good who, who thinks that sounds like a good thing to do okay let's read Matthew um, in fact let's not read let's just think about it uh, who here has got someone who really gets their goat love your enemies okay let, let's see what else um, has anyone ever really done something nasty to you Jesus says turn the other cheek hey man isn't this good this is life to the full Okay, um, okay. Uh, anyone here ever not trust God for their daily bread? Um, who here prays constantly? Who here has ever seen a demon cast out? A demon cast out. Wounds healed? The doctor knows yes, and not even the doctory way. Jesus says annoying things sometimes, like, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, love one another. Yes, even that irritating so-and-so and sits over there. I'm pointing at no one for the, for the record. This is, this is the best life, isn't it? To love the guy who irritates you so much. Um, Jesus says, teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, 
but it's so much nicer to, to think about how I'm going to pour hot oil over them and watch them scream. Isn't it? If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, think about the Pharisees, the best of the best, who will tell you they have got everything down. If you look at them, you want to know someone who lives perfectly, and Jesus says, wow, these guys are pathetic. But by the way, if you want to see the kingdom of God, your righteousness, your goodness has to surpass theirs. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If someone forces you to go a mile, back in those days the Romans could force you to carry their stuff and walk about a mile with them. Jesus says if they force you to go a mile, go the other mile. Jesus says if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Isn't it better to have one eye than to go into hell? The list can go on and on and on and on and on. In fact, I recommend to you that you, that you this week, just go into Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7-ish. In fact, read all of what Jesus says. And, and Jesus asks some big stuff of us. We often think um, Jesus doesn't demand much of us, but Jesus demands a lot. In fact, the, the overarching theme that God says to his people is, Be holy, for I am holy. In other words, what God says to us is, I want you to live like me. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is actually, do I love God and trust God enough to want to do what he says? When you have just called me a... When you're walking in the shops or someone's in the till behind you, in the queue behind you, and you, uh, you've got a few more than 15 items, and they turn to you and they go, F, 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 you're effing in the wrong queue, effing blah, 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 blah. Is your first instinct to bless them and pay for their groceries? Or is your first instinct to, to do something else? I wonder what Jesus would do. He probably wouldn't be in the wrong queue with too many groceries. Do I trust Jesus enough to actually do what he says? To bless those who curse you? Or do I think that that's all nice and good, but the creator of heavens and earth doesn't quite understand my particular circumstances? You you see, they were really nasty to me. And so even though Jesus says, love your enemies, I'm not going to love this person because, because, well, they did something really bad. And quite frankly, Jesus just doesn't understand. Now, a lot of you will go, oh, I would never think that. But that's what we do in practice, isn't it? Do we trust Jesus, trust God enough to do what he says? And, and if I don't actually think that Jesus actually knows the best way to live, including all these messy things that he says that we like to avoid about actually being holy as God is holy, um, why assume that if I don't trust him for life now that I will trust him for life in eternity? By the way, um, if you follow Jesus perfectly, congratulations. Uh, The rest of us will see you when we die. 
We don't do it very perfectly, do we? But, but it's worth asking ourselves, do I trust Jesus enough in this circumstance? And the question is, I might even go into it saying, I want to live the way Jesus wants me to live. I want to respond to life and to circumstances and to temptations the way Jesus would respond. You know, I want to do that. But if a car comes up behind me and they hoot at me or they flash their lights because I'm driving too slow for them or something, my first instinct is to put the brake on a little bit, not to get out of the way. Which I'm sure is not what Jesus would do. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'm not a very good driver. I'm not the best driver. And I know I'm not the best driver. But if somebody flashes their light at me, it's not, I'm not the best driver. It's, how dare you? If Jesus was driving, he'd probably do it a lot differently. So how do I actually do it? If I say I want to follow Jesus, if I say I want to do what he says, how do I actually do it? We finished on this last week and we said, let's go out and seek the kingdom of God first. And I said, can we do this? And we all said, yes. And Reg at the side says, it's going to be difficult. Or words to that effect. Because it's not easy, is it? So how do we do it? How do we follow Jesus? Turn with me, if you could, if you could to the book of Romans uh, chapter 12. And we've got a hint here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says to us, um, Dear brothers and sisters, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And Paul says that I want you to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And, and notice the thing that Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to seek first the kingdom of God, then you must change the way you think. Paul doesn't say, if you want to seek the kingdom of God, then you need to, then you need to uh, uh, figure out what pleases God. He says, if you want to please God, if you want to worship God, you need to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And uh, in effect, what he says is, don't just say, I want to follow you, Jesus. Actually, follow him. Put it in practice. Put it in, in bodily practice. It's all very good to, to agree with the theory of following Jesus, but theory is pathetic. Even the demons believe that Jesus is God. We must actually follow him. And it, it's not just agreeing, yes, maybe Jesus does know the best way to live. It's actually living as if Jesus does know the best way to live. And I think we offer our bodies to Jesus by refusing to let our bodies, ourselves, this, this thing, our bodies, you know what bodies are, by refusing to let them live contrary to God's will. And our bodies is more than just, you know, your fingers. It's also our, our mind and our, and our, our will is, is all mixed up. You, you can't separate body and soul. We kind of, God smooshed us together like that. 
But, but we need to put even our sinful desires to death. Have a look, uh, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says to us over here, uh, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. A greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Uh, you know, these are things that you do with your body. Um, it says, don't lie to each other, which you do with your tongue. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds and put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. If, however, we simply set out and go, right, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. And the guy comes behind you and flashes their lights and you still put the brake on. Because because our wills are sin damaged, aren't they? Our first instinct um, very often is not to veer towards godliness, but to veer away from godliness. In fact, Paul says there is no one righteous, not even one. If I try by an effort of my will to renew my mind so that my, so that my instinct is to follow God, if I just go, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, it doesn't work. Or if it does work, it works to limited success. Anyone ever tried that? Anyone ever tried really hard to be, to be good? It's a bit difficult, isn't it? If you read in the bulletin, I, I quote Paul over there. He says, I find a principle of life at work. When I try and do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. This is just the way our sin Bodies are, are veered, are, are wired to veer. Our, our mind and our wills are in desperate need of renewal. Matthew chapter five, uh, 15, verse 18. Have a listen to what Jesus says over here. Jesus says, He's speaking about uh, eating and what defiles you. He says, uh, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Big deal. Uh, but the words that you speak, verse 18, come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, or sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. It, it's what's inside of you. Uh, in, in a sense, what Jesus says is inside of us, there's this gungy, grungy mess. You know, like when you cut open an apple and, and it's moldy at the pips. Has that ever happened to you? It's disgusting, isn't it? And, and you just know it's just going to spread from there. I might sincerely want to live a life of obedience to Jesus, but, but there's mold inside my soul that goes in a different direction. And I'm not alone, am I? Am I alone? Anyone, anyone else in there with me? So the question I've got to ask myself is, if, if Jesus really does have the best life, and I've got to first be convinced of that, and I really want to follow him, my, my question has got to be, how can I become the kind of person who instinctively becomes, instinctively does 
what Jesus would do if he were in my shoes. And you know, the thing is, if I don't actually want to become this kind of person, I won't become this kind of person. And the other truth, sadly, is that it's a little bit more complicated than just saying, oh God, make me this person. Because it's very easy for us to say, oh God, won't you make me this person? And while you're doing it, I'm just going to carry on being the other person. Deal? Deal. And God goes, it doesn't work that way. If we don't want to follow Jesus, God's not going to force us. A spiritual transformation, which is what we're talking about here, it's not impossible. I mean, why is it that more of us aren't like Jesus? Why is it that I'm not like Jesus? Why is it that that people don't look at you and go, wow, you just, I get you confused with Jesus every now and again. it's, It's not impossible that. It's just that we don't really want that, do we? Because Jesus is the greatest teacher. He is our savior, but he doesn't really understand what life is like. Because when someone hurts me, they've hurt me. Spiritual transformation is not impossible. But it's also not something that just happens to us. If we're serious about following Jesus, then we need to train ourselves to follow Jesus. You're a phys ed teacher, Vili. That's correct. Have you ever had a kid who just never played a sport before, stepped on the field, and they were the best player in the world? Okay, how many? Well, this, this just ruined my sermon. <laughs> There's some gifted people out there who are crazy gifted. Had they ever seen the sport before? They've seen it. If you want to learn to play football, I guess in theory it's possible that you can never pick up a football and the first time you pick it up you're just a genius. But if you've never seen a game of football before, you're never going to know what to do. And trust me, there's different ways to know what to do because if you want to become a pro AFL player, don't watch me throwing the footy around. You should... Mark's not here. Go and watch the Dockers. Why? Or the Eagles. Or a good team. We need to be serious about following Jesus and if we want to follow Jesus, we actually need to train ourselves to follow Jesus because unlike the genius kids at village school, following Jesus doesn't come naturally to us. What comes naturally to us is sin. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Wait, that's not the wrong, that's not the right one. 1 Timothy. Sorry. 1 Timothy 4. That is a great passage, the other one, by the way. Read it too. 
Um, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, 1 Timothy 4, 7, um, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales, and I see how time's going now, but we'll hurry. Instead, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is good. That's why we got the stuff here. But, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. We have a long legacy of people who have sought to seek the kingdom of God first. We have the example of Jesus, and, and Jesus didn't have to train to be godly because, well, he's God. But, but if we look at him, we can see the kind of life that a godly person follows. It's like looking at a good AFL player as opposed to watching me. Uh, in spiritual transformation, we actually have to... Just trying to do something doesn't mean that you're going to be a success at it. But by training, we can become the kind of people who do the right thing naturally. You know, when I first learned to drive a car, even though apparently I'm still pretty bad at it, when I first learned to drive a car, you got all the logic in your head. You go, okay, foot down, pedal, petrol, clutch. And you get in the car, what do you do the first time you put your your foot on the accelerator? You do a bunny hop, don't you? You do a... I had all the facts in my head. I might still do them every now and again. I had all the facts, but but I still drove badly. But these days, these days I don't even think about putting that pedal down and coordinating the clutch and moving. I just you get in the car and you just go apparently. <laughs> You don't think about that anymore. It comes naturally because I've trained myself to drive a car. Training in godliness isn't about keeping a list of rules. Jesus was quite offended by people who reduced following God to to a list of rules. It, It is, however, about being prepared for whatever comes so that we can react the way Jesus would react. And yes, we need to choose to obey God in every circumstance, but, but the aim is an inward transformation so that our reaction or our action is a naturally godly one. You see, one doesn't just drift into being physically fit. You don't just sort of find yourself sitting in front of the TV, and over the course of a few days, oh, I've actually put on some pounds of muscle. It doesn't work, does it? And in the same way, you don't just drift into spiritual maturity. If you want to be physically fit, you have to actually put in some effort. If you want to be spiritually fit, well, you don't drift into into being the kind of person that God would have us be. We need a training regime to put off the old person and put on the new person in the likeness of Christ. And there are some things that we can train ourselves to do that we just cannot do naturally. I cannot bench press 300 kilograms. But if I start a training program, 
I might get there. I'll certainly get a lot closer than if I just never start a training program. Jesus, um, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, tells the story of a house. He says there's two ways to build your lives. Either you can build your house on the rock or you can build your house on the sand. And this story, unfortunately, doesn't work very well in Western Australia because we only ever build on sand. Um, Even here, though, we do put down a cement rock first. (laughs) He says if you build your, your... Life on the sand, what happens? The big storm comes down, the floods come up, and it washes it away. Three little pigs. But if you build your house on the rock, then you'll survive. And Jesus said, basically, I want you to build your lives on me. I'm the rock for you. I want you to to live as if I actually am the one who knows what's best. And he doesn't give us a formula on how to build our lives on the rock, but, but he, he, we have the history of what he did, how he lived, and we have the history of many, many people after him, following him. One of the things, which we won't go into detail now, we'll do this next week, one of the things Jesus often did was to go alone by himself to pray. There's a bit in uh, Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus has just heard about John the Baptist's ex- execution and he goes somewhere to be alone with the disciples and everyone finds out <laughs> and they follow him and he heals them and then he feeds 5,000 of them and it's this most incredible day and at the end of the day, do you know what Jesus does? He says, right, get in the boat. Peter, get in the boat. And he sends them across the lake and he He dismisses the crowd, and then what does he do? He goes up into the mountains by himself alone, and he prays. That's beautiful. How often do we do that? Because taking time alone with God is essential to growing godliness. We're going to talk about this next week, but we think it's a waste of time, don't we? Mark chapter 1, Jesus... uh, very early part of his ministry. He's just had this incredible day. He wakes up early the next morning. He goes somewhere by himself again to pray again. And Peter and the others are looking for him and they eventually find him. They go, what are you doing, Jesus? Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going somewhere else. The kingdom of God needs to be spread and and announced everywhere. We need need to train ourselves for godliness because it doesn't come naturally. We need to learn how to follow Jesus as a spiritual reflex. And there are some things that Christians over the years have found useful. There are disciplines of abstinence and there are disciplines of engagement. Jesus often abstained from being with people so that he could spend time with God. And Jesus engaged God directly with prayer. In abstinence, it's it's about letting go of what distracts us from being with God. It's about letting go so that we can be with God more. Engagement is about actually engaging with God so that we can be with God more. You see, the focus is about being with God more. So 
Different people find different things helpful. There's, there's some things which I think are essential in terms of spiritual disciplines, but uh, examples of abstinence, solitude, silence, fasting, secrecy, sacrifice, uh, chastity, to use a lovely old-fashioned word. Uh, we, we can engage God uh, by, by disciplines of studying, worship, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, um, submission. We're going to... We're going to look not at all of those of the next little while, but we are going to look uh, at, at silence and being alone. And we're going to be looking at study and worship and maybe, maybe a couple more. We've got to train ourselves. Is anyone a bit worried by this sermon? All this training. He's flipped the boat. Christianity's all about grace, and now he's coming and saying, you've got to train yourselves, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do it until it becomes natural. What is wrong with him? Where is grace? Well, the good news of God is absolutely all about grace. Grace that God comes and says, I am in charge and I want you to be in my kingdom and I'm going to make it possible for you to be in my kingdom. The kingdom of God is near. There's grace to start with. And the the grace is that if we accept Jesus, then we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That is grace. And yet Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 that we should live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live the way that Jesus would live in our messed up, broken world. And, and we need to train ourselves because it doesn't come naturally. We need to train ourselves to follow Jesus in every moment. And, and even our training isn't something that we can do in our own strength. Remember that whole thing, of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I still put on the brake pedal. It, 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 we, how do we do it? Well, grace. Our training isn't, isn't about trying harder. Our training is not about trying harder. If you want to train to be more godly, if you want to train to be more godly, and train and train and train and train and train, you're wasting your time. Because you might be able to train the outside appearance, but inside you're still rotten and and moldy. The spiritual disciplines, the training that we need to do, the godly training, the hard work that we need to do, is not about doing more on the outside and looking better and being bad. The training we need to do is the training of being closer to God. And it's training because, quite frankly, it's difficult. My favorite quote from C.S. Lewis um, misquote from C.S. Lewis, is, uh, isn't it amazing that we can concentrate really, 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 really hard on something and we can work and we can work and we can just be so focused and we go, I better do my Bible reading now and we take out the Bible and we go to the page and we read, in the beginning, oh, I wonder what we're having for dinner. Our natural bent is away from God. That's what sin has done to us. It's hard work. Our training involves getting closer to God, letting God work in our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Remember what he said, they offer your bodies as living sacrifice. In fact, actually do it. But do you know what the second verse said? It spoke about transforming of our minds, transforming of who we are, but there's a key word in there. It is 
let. Do not be conformed to this world, but let God transform you. Our training involves finding ways to let God. And that's all about grace. It's all about grace. That God would, I mean, I say, God, would you do it? And God says, I love you so much, I'm going to do it. Has anyone got an electric toothbrush? I'm going to finish with this. Not here. (laughs) If you've got an electric toothbrush, the amazing thing is they run out of batteries. And they go, mine goes, it doesn't actually grind down. It just stops. I want my electric toothbrush to have a renewed battery. I want it to have a renewed battery and the base is going, I want to renew your battery. The charge is going, I want to renew the battery of your electric toothbrush. And I go, I want my electric toothbrush to have a renewed battery. And I put it on the counter. And the next morning I'm like, why is it not working? If I want my toothbrush to charge, I have to put it on the charger. And then by grace, the charger gives electricity to it. If we want to grow in godliness, we can say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, but I'm not going to want to do anything actually about it. You know what that says? I want everyone to think I want to be like Jesus. I want myself to think I want to be like Jesus, but deep down I don't really want to be like Jesus because if I did, I'd actually go to Jesus. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at training. Training ourselves in how we can go to Jesus. Therefore, or therewith, ends the sermon. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you want us to be like you. Thank you that you've given us all that we need for a life of godliness and holiness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your grace is more than enough for us. Lord, please help us to believe that you actually do know the best way to live. Help us to believe that life in your kingdom really is the way life is meant to be. Lord, Help us to not just want to want you. Help us to not just want others to think how holy we are. Lord, help us because so often we kid ourselves that we want to be holy. But we know that inside of us there is still the bent away from you. Lord Jesus, we want to draw closer to you. We want you to recharge us. Lord Jesus, I pray that over the next few weeks we would learn ways that we can actually come draw near to you. Thank you, Father, that you have said that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Lord, we want to be your kind of people. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name.
your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing one.